Well, we're going to uh, have a, a great, great time today. We're going to have a great time. Let it be happy, all right? You can get happy in church. Get over it, folks. Get over it. It's all right. Um, we're going to uh, uh, get ready uh, to let Andre Sims, a man that I just met this weekend, uh, I called uh, Dr. Michael Lawson at uh, Dallas Seminary. I said, can you recommend somebody uh, that we won't lose 10 families if we have him preach? And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, that one pastor, they said, he said it was the best church I ever had. And they said, what's been so good about it? He said, well, it's gone down slower than any church I've pastored. And so I didn't want anyone to hurt us. And so he recommended Andre and uh, who was a doctoral student under Dr. Lawson, and uh, he uh, uh, recommended him highly, and we've enjoyed meeting him. He brought his precious wife, Kathy. Uh, they pastor a church about 20 minutes south of Seattle and uh, uh, is an evangelist by Ben, worked with Dr. Tony Evans, and uh, tried to teach Tony how to do it. And uh, so... Uh, we thought, well, he had a high enough credentials. Tony, uh, you just put that out. If you extract that from the tape, they'd appreciate it. And so uh, he's going to be preaching tonight. Uh, you can go to hell. That's just a declarative statement. It's not a cuss word. And uh, let me say several things. We're going to be baptizing around, I think, six people are being baptized tonight. And we're going to take... Uh, we had 22, but we wanted to hear our preacher, so we're going to roll over into November and baptize the rest, we hope, and we'll be taking the Lord's Supper, and then uh, after service tonight, we're having a big uh, Mexican feed for all those that come. You don't have to go to a restaurant. Just come to church, and this will be the one stop. Some of you need a shot in the arm. You haven't taken communion in a long time. You haven't seen anyone baptized. And you haven't heard a burning preacher in a long time. So you get it all tonight. Okay? Get it all tonight. So I want you to welcome uh, Dr. Andre Sins, and let's let him preach. Come, Andre. Amen. I'm, I'm just so blessed to be here. Uh, my wife and I hail from Seattle, Washington. And uh, we pastor a conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Uh, there in Seattle. I'm, I'm from the Church of God in Christ. That's my church background. I got saved in the apostolic church. And so don't hold that against me. This is God's journey uh, for me. But in that particular church, you first have to give honor to God. Before you speak, you give honor to God the Father. And then give honor to His only begotten Son, who is my Lord and Savior, who chose to save me on Father's Day when I was 17 years of age. And then I give honor to God, the Holy Spirit, who has sealed me into the day of redemption till Jesus comes to get me or calls me to come live with him forever. And I'm just thankful that I'm born again. I don't know about you, but I'm just glad to know Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad to know Jesus. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. And I just want to thank the Lord and, and give him honor for his servant, his under-shepherd. Uh, Pastor Howard, uh, as, as they would say in the Pentecostal church, he has the scent of sheep. It's an under-shepherd. He's spent a lot of time. You can, you can tell he's been around y'all a bunch. 
just having dinner with him and having conversation. And you certainly can't leave out the first lady of the church. Sister Carolyn, we want to give honor to the first lady of the church. Amen. I'm thankful to be traveling with my lovely wife. And uh, that, that keeps all issues, all hotel, motel. I got my own blessing from God. I don't have to worry about what the enemy would try. I get to travel with my wife, and so I'm thankful uh, for that. Let me just say that in Seattle, if you didn't know it, uh, we are in, for the last 14 years, the most unchurched state in the country. The state of Washington, if you go into the USA Today Religion in America survey, every May, the USA Today newspaper puts out a Religion in America survey. It's a Barna survey. And for the last 14 years, the state of Washington has been the state with the fewest number of people professing to have any kind of religion. And we're not talking about relationship, we're just saying religion. The fewest number of people to profess to have any type of religion. In Seattle, we have more same gender, same sex, homosexual relationships than any other city per capita of a city with a million plus population. More than your neighbors down the street in San Francisco, more than Minneapolis, Minnesota, the city of Seattle has more same gender relationships, marriages, than any other city in the country. If you didn't know it, with one of only three states in the country to ever vote for same gender marriage by popular vote. That just happened uh, this past election. So because we don't have a God concept, we have all kind of horrific things happening in our backyard. All the witches and all the warlocks in all the nation gather together in the Courtyard Marriott Hotel of the city where I pastor a church. Every August, it's called the Wiccan National Convention. Every soothsayer, every person that ever cast a spell, every person that ever read Antoine LaVey's Book of Satan, every person that believes that Satan is not the God of this world, but the God, period, comes to Seattle in August and worships their God. And because they come to Seattle to worship their God, they abduct our children. We have the largest rate of child abduction of any city in the country. The month of October is the highest month because of Hallow's Eve. And they take our kids and they take them off to the Cascade Mountains or they take them off to the Olympic Mountains and they butcher and kill our children in the name of their God. So if you come to Seattle with your child and you don't know about the Child Protective Services laws, we have the most stringent CPS laws of all countries in all of this country in the state of Washington. If you leave your grandson at the play area and walk up front to buy the Happy Meal, somebody will call 911 on you, saying that you turned your back and left your child 30 feet away from a parent or an adult unsupervised. So because of that darkness, when it came to do the time to do the demographic study of where would God have us to go, and Dr. Evans was asking us where did we want to plant as a church plant of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship plants one church a year. We were the church plant for the year 2000. Uh, I said, I want to go to the darkest place. I want to go where the light will shine brightest. And I just thank the Lord that he's allowed us to be there for 13 years and see himself do miraculous things. And that's all to the glory of God, right? 
because no man can save. And no person dare not contaminate the glory of God by crediting themselves for what only God can do. Only God can save. Only God can rearrange and transform a life. Only God can clean up the fish that we catch. This whole idea of cleaning up before you come, you don't understand the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can clean. I'm just a fisherman. And he's called all of us to be fishermen. And we're going to read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 8, starting at verse 26. First, we're going to pray to the Lord, ask him to teach us something. Oh, Lord God, we confess that apart from your Holy Spirit, we don't know a better Bible teacher. God, your word says that the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, has come to teach us and to remind us of all things of Christ. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will illumine our hearts and minds. Allow your truth to leap off the page. Lord, allow us to be reminded that there is now therefore no condemnation. For those of us in Christ Jesus, God, you don't condemn us. We don't walk in shame. We don't walk in regret. For the God, we don't walk in the disposition of our head being dropped low because of the foolish choices we made. Because of your death, we walk in victory, we walk free, we walk blameless, we walk in your perfection. We're seated in the heavenlies, our citizenship is in heaven. And God, we ask that you speak to our hearts. And once you've spoken, God, may we choose not to be like the children of Israel. Hebrews 3, verse 7 and verse 8, may we harden not our hearts when we hear the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So, uh, just a couple of things that the preacher has to have. You know, I got to have my little rag, so <coughs> once things get to popping around here, <coughs> I won't be dripping like a shower curtain. <laughs> so, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26, and we're going to be reminded of biblical evangelism. So, I just want to say that what some of us believe is evangelism uh, does not meet the Bible definition. And so listen, don't just turn me off now and, and then wake up when I'm finished. Just give me a chance. I'm, I'm going to keep going somewhere with that thought. But here's the concept. Some of us believe that if we as good Christians do our neighborly thing and every now and then mow the neighbor's lawn or every now and then grab the neighbor's mail or, you know, if we come to work early and stay late and don't steal the pens or pencils or toilet paper for poor compensation or, you know what I'm saying? If I live the impeccable Christian life, then I'm doing my evangelism for my neighbors, my friends, my associates, you know, my homies, my cronies, whatever the case may be, for the honeys, whatever it is. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a believer, and I believe that I've accomplished God's commission. And I want to say you haven't, unless you've communicated the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. See, the things that you're doing that are in keeping with your Christian faith are the things that make your evangelism credible. They're not to be mistaken for the evangelism. The going to work early and staying late is the thing that allows somebody to listen to you because you've demonstrated that you're worth listening to. It's when you live the hypocritical life that people don't really want to hear what you have to say. It doesn't mean that you don't get to say it. Ah, you know, I kind of stayed out a little bit too late, drank a little bit too much. I know they ain't trying to hear from me. 
That's probably true. It doesn't change the fact that God's commanded me and God's commanded you to make disciples. So evangelism requires that I communicate life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's a requirement. It's an expectation. It's written in the scripture. It's not about what I think. It's about what he has said. There is an erroneous bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The bumper sticker should say, God said it, that settles it. <laughs> Who cares what you believe? <laughs> it's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about him. He's not a fair God. I know that hurts somebody, but you're not going to find the word in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the Aramaic. You're not going to find it. The Bible says he's a just God. That means he does just what he pleases. <laughs> Don't have to ask nobody nothing. I'm God. I do what I want. And everything I do is true because I can't act contrary to my own character. There's no lie or evil within me, so I can't do it. So the scripture is very clear. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26, we get to see Philip practicing the evangelism that we all are called to practice. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Verse 27, part A of the verse. So he arose and went. So an angel told Philip, to arise and go. The angel commanded Philip to do it. So now here's the thing. We know that angels have a vested interest in non-believing men and women and boys and girls. We know that from reading Luke chapter 15, verse 7. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. Pin it down, pull up the smart device, take a look. So I'm at a Bible church. I can use Bible verses. <laughs> So you look at those verses and the passage says that the angels rejoice more over one sinner saved than 99 already saved. And the angel commands Philip to go to Gaza. Now you have to know that he's in Jerusalem and Gaza is 52 miles away. And you see that he commanded him to arise and go and the scripture says in verse 27 that he arose and went. Notice he didn't debate with the angel. So, like, can you tell me who I'm going to go hang out with since I got a wall? <laughs> you know, a brother not riding a chariot. You don't have no horses. I got these sandals and that dirt road, 52 miles. Could you be a little more specific? Do I need to go today, next week? Could you work it out for a brother? Let me know a little bit more than just go. That city was destroyed in 93 B.C. It was rebuilt in 57. What, they got a new carnival? What they got over there? Why am I going to Gaza? But he doesn't ask that question. He simply follows the command. And so I don't really have to turn there because this is a Bible church, so you already know what the Great Commission says. You know Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples. It's a command. How many of you know God doesn't make suggestions? Let me see your hand. 
The God I serve doesn't make suggestions. He only gives commands. And he's commanded me to go and make disciples. Now, you know, since I know the pastor went to seminary, I know you guys are full of this hermeneutical prowess. You know exactly what that big $5 word means. You know it's the art and science of biblical interpretation. And if you're in Hermeneutics 101 at the Valley Bible Church, you know what the word therefore means. Right? Whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask yourself, what is it? I knew you'd have the answer. <laughs> when the Bible thumping churches. So go, the participle. Baptize, the participle. Teach, surrounding the command to make disciples. It's a command of God. It's not an option that I have based on the translation of Scripture that I have. Now, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. I would assume that you all are reading, a lot of you out of the New American Standard Bible. But I don't know what your version is. We live in a day with a lot of versions. And so I don't know. Maybe your version says, go if you feel comfortable, therefore, and make disciples. You, you don't have that version? How about go if you've already graduated high school, already graduated middle school, and make disciples. You got that version? Anybody got that version? If you've already graduated, how about this one? You don't even have to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to get to hospitality. You serving as an usher. You don't even have to go. You blessing the babies over in the nursery. You don't have to go. You singing in the choir on the praise team. You know what? You don't have to go. Anybody got that version? If you're using a different gift, you don't have to do this one over here. Hmm. How about if you don't have the gift, you don't have to say nothing. You're all right. Man, I can't find that version. Only version I can find says that everybody who's born again, everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is under the command of God to make disciples. It's explicit. It's clear. There's no ambiguity there. Everybody under the sound of my voice, born again, is commanded of God to make disciples. Now, here's the thing. There's only two types of sin in the Bible. You, you can categorize every sin communicated under two categories. There's the sin of commission. God said don't and you do. That's sin. And there's the sin of omission. God said do and you don't. Two categories. God said make disciples if I don't. I heard somebody say it. It was real quiet though. <laughs> it was on the low. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a unison. <laughs> oh, we're sinning. <laughs> There's a couple of two, three folk. <laughs> Sin. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I don't know about you, but everything I'm seeking God for, believing God for, everything I pray about, I'm desiring for God to do it. I'm not just praying to hear myself talk. I have a need of the Lord to do something for me, for mine, for my family, for my kids, on behalf of the ministry for my mother who's still alive, my wife's mother who's 80 years of age. I, I, when I talk to God, I'm looking for God to do the nanosecond thing. Before I can even get it out good, he's already stepped in and provided. He's already shown up and demonstrated that he alone is Jehovah Jireh in my life. That's what I'm looking for. So I really can't afford for my prayers to be hindered. I can't afford to be out of fellowship. And when I know to do something right and I don't do it, according to James chapter 4, verse 17, to he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 
So I just can't afford to sin knowingly when it comes to giving the gospel because I got too much I want the God of the universe to do for me. So, you know, my parents used to watch this Hanna-Barber cartoon called Ricochet Rabbit. A lot of folk don't know what that is, but it was a rabbit that would bounce off of all hard surfaces, the ceiling, the floor, the wall. That's what happens to your prayer when you're out of fellowship. It never quite makes it to the throne room, but ting, bing, bang, off the cymbal, <laughs> off the monitors, and back in the back of the room. God never really got it because you and God aren't on the same speaking terms. You're not out of relationship because relationship is eternal. You're out of fellowship because you choose to do what you want based on how you feel when you want. As opposed to submitting yourself to the master. I'm a slave. I'm a bond servant. I signed up willingly. I asked Jesus to be Lord. The word means master. And when he says jump, I say how high, not how come. I do what I'm told that's what slaves do. It's not a negotiation. There's nothing to barter for services. God saved me before the foundation of the world. I live in Seattle. We have a mountain called Rainier. It's the third highest peak in the country. Before he spoke that into existence, he decided I would know him. Yes. Ephesians 1.4. So because he chose me, I lay down my life. I do what I'm told. I go where I'm told. I talk to who I'm supposed to on a regular basis, because I can't afford not to. I can't have sin in my life knowingly. So I'm trying to encourage you to consider that God doesn't make suggestions. He only gives commands. And he never shines the light on a passage unless he's first equipped you to accomplish the task for which he sent the passage for. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything pertaining to life, and godliness. I don't care if you're five or 95. As soon as the Holy Spirit shines a light on the truth, that's the day God expects me to practice it. Not the next week. Now, well, God, you know I kind of just got going, and you know, I'm trying to get my little flow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let, me, let me talk to you. Let me holler at you for a second. Just give me a week to kind of... That's not how it works. You read it, you don't understand it. You read it, you don't understand it. You read it, you don't understand it. All of a sudden, boom, the light comes on. The day the light comes on, is the day he's empowered you to get busy. Now start negotiating. Oh, man, I got to, ooh, wait a minute. <laughs> so all of us are commanded, go back to Acts chapter 8, if you turned away from there. So, so we, you know, we have to have literation. You know, I can't come all the way here and not have my literation in line. So the first point was C, command. <laughs> Second point, C, contact. Third point, C, conversation. Fourth point, C, conversion. Got to have your alliteration, right? At the Bible church. Can't come in here <laughs> ping-ponging around the passages, <laughs> not handling the Scripture right. Exegete the Scripture. Don't eisegete, right? Exo, where it means out of. Iso, into. Don't read into. Let the Holy Spirit pull out of and then follow. So, the contact. Who is Philip supposed to make contact with? It's a mystery. The angel doesn't communicate it. Verse 27. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. 
he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Man, that Philip, that dude is on it, man. The angel said, do it. Arise and go, that is. <laughs> and he arose and went. Holy Spirit says, stop that chariot right there. The Bible says he ran. But I want to get that Philip spirit in me. Amen. Get up and run whenever God say move. Move. Because the angelic host can't do anything that God hadn't first told them to do because they watch the face of God and then they do the bidding of God to minister to those of us who God's called to know him in a personal way. Even if that person is a non-believing person, they don't know that they're going to meet the master yet. And so, this eunuch is from Ethiopia. He's from Africa. That means he got a tan, something like mine. Somewhere in the neighborhood of mine. So I, so I didn't grow up in the hood, even though I grew up in Chicago. I was born in Detroit, raised in Chicago. I, I didn't grow up on the south side. I didn't grow up on the west side. I didn't grow up near 43rd and Halston. I didn't grow up in a gang. I grew up in a gated community, a suburban gated community, a more like vanilla <laughs> type demographic <laughs> with a few chocolate chips sprinkled in. <laughs> I see the chips out there, power to the chips, I see y'all. All mocha chips, chocolate, I see y'all out there. <laughs> in the multi-ethnic cross-cultural ministry at Valley Bible Church. <laughs> we got that same ministry in Seattle. Our mission statement of Christ the King Bible Fellowship is that we're called to start growing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into disciples. The word nation in the Greek, ethnos, every ethnicity should hear the gospel. Because according to Revelation 5, 9, or Revelation 7, 9, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group is going to be represented. We're going to live together for eternity. We might as well start hanging out down here and get some practice. <laughs> might as well get some practice in. <laughs> Why are you down here? The church ought to look like what heaven looks like. This is a great depiction of what we're going to be doing in the eyes of the Father for eternity. And so this guy, this, this uh, <coughs> African, is, has moved over to Jerusalem to kind of find out what's going on in the Jerusalem church. You say, well, why couldn't he find out what's going on in Ethiopia? Because in this particular time, the church was located in a location. The church wasn't me. The church wasn't you. In this particular age and time, you're the church. I'm the church. At this particular time, the church was in Jerusalem in one location. And so he is the secretary treasurer. Did, did you see what it said? He's the secretary treasurer. He's an official in the White House, if you will. Might have been called the Black House. Who knows? <laughs> but, but, but whatever house it is that's running the government, he's working there. And Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, she's running things. Candace is the queen 
I'm from Chicago. I know a bunch of sisters named Candace, nicknamed Candy. So, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Candace is running everything in Ethiopia. But, but if you don't do the research, then you think that's her name. But Candy, or Candace, is the name of the office of the queen, as in Pharaoh is the name of the office of the king of Egypt, as in Caesar is the name of the office of the emperor of Rome, as in president is the office of the man who leads the free world. Candace is the name of her office, and she runs the country because her husband, the king, is reported to be a descendant of the S-U-N. The thing that provides light by day, he's supposed to be a god. He's supposed to be a sun god or the son of the sun. <laughs> and so he can't be doing mundane things like running the country, so mama running things. <laughs> There's a message in there somewhere, but we can't go there today. <laughs> and so she's running the country. She's got this officer that is watching this guy put his pants on one leg at a time, and he's like, well, you can't be the guy. But I hear over in Jerusalem, they got a God that can split seas. They got a God that can give folk boils. They got a God that can free millions at one time with no warfare and no weapons. Maybe he's the real thing. Let me get on my chariot. I'm not like Philip. I'm not broke. <laughs> I got wooden dubs, 26, all the way around. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hook me up. <laughs> I'm about to roll. <laughs> Let me go over here to Jerusalem, see what's popping. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> when I get over there, I'm ready to have church. I done brought my Bible. I done got my chariot. I done came from a different country. I'm ready to have church. But Philip doesn't find me in the church. Philip finds me in the parking lot. Right? I'm reading out loud in the chariot. The Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot, the guy that came to church that can't get in church. But what happened? The folk in church didn't like him. He wasn't allowed to come in because he didn't look the part. The law said in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, that because he was a eunuch, he would defile the temple so he couldn't get in. So he's sitting outside reading his Bible, trying to figure the Yahweh Jerusalem God thing out. But the Bible that I read says in James chapter 4 verse 8, if you will draw nigh, if you will draw near unto God, God will draw near unto you. Jesus says, I will. You can't not, you can't seek after God and be left hanging, be hung out there meandering. If you want to know the truth, God will get you the truth. In fact, he'll send somebody 52 miles on foot to be there before you get there. Because that's how the God I serve works. Have him ready, because I know you're coming, and I know you're not going to be able to get in, because I'm, I'm, I'm omniscient, I know everything. So I got Philip coming to take care of you, even though the church won't. See, I'm the church. If you're born again, you're the church. And we should have receptivity to all. And in, and in doing so, we have an opportunity to be involved in kingdom purposes that have eternal value. And so this man of color is going to hear the truth from this Jewish man that he doesn't know from Adam. They, they're total strangers. 
So let me just say to the African-Americans out there who have heard from the nation of Islam that black folk didn't hear about the white man's religion until slavery. And even though it is true that the word was misinterpreted and misused to abuse people of color who were enslaved, it is not true that we heard about God for the first time when we came over here 16 centuries ago. Well, let me take that back. When 16 centuries ago, an uh, African heard about the truth, it can't be true that 200 years ago was the first time we ever heard the message. So if someone from the nation of Islam that's reading the Quran tries to communicate to you like I have been told before, that because the word Muslim means one submitted to God, and then they ask me the question, Andre, are you submitted to God? The answer is yes. Well, then we're the same. I'm a Muslim. I'm submitted to God. That's what the word means by definition. You're a Christian. You say you're submitted to God. They mean the same thing. It's just semantics, different words. So we should stop fighting against each other and come together. We serve the same God under a different name based on a different part of the world. But when you do the research, open up the Quran, Head to Surah, S-U-R-A-H 43. Read down to verse 6. And you'll find in the Quran that Allah hates those who hate him. You have to believe me. Get a Quran. Open it up. Read Surah 43, verse 6. You'll see that it says, Allah hates those who hate him. And then you get this divine inerrant book. <laughs> this, this God breathed one. The one that the prophets and the apostles and their associates penned by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you go to Romans chapter 5 and you get to verse 8. And you read the apostle Paul saying, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> Hell yeah. So they can't be the same guy. One hates you if you hate him. One will give his only son to die for you if you hate him. Can't be the same person. So even if Louis Farrakhan arguably is the best orator of our day, just because he knows the historicity of the injustice and the plight of the black man doesn't mean he knows God. It's like a movie star trying to sell me tires. You know you ain't changed a tire in 20 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> you got people for that. So this African is going to hear the truth. And the question on the floor is, it was clear that the angel and the Holy Spirit made it known to Philip who to have a conversation with. So let's us, let's us have a conversation right now. Who are you, who am I supposed to have a conversation with? How, how do I know Who's most likely to be receptive to the Bible message I'm commanded to give? How do I know? Some of y'all say, okay, well, it's by the Spirit, same Spirit. I, I would agree with you 100%. Now, some of you aren't that, you know, theologically deep, but you plan on being obedient because that's your heart. So in your mind, as I was talking, you were figuring out how to go talk to the head of human resources at your job. You were just thinking about it. 
and get all 505 names for your company, and you determine everybody going to get Jesus this year. <laughs> he, he ain't preaching on me no more. <laughs> Let me get the human resources <laughs> information. Everybody getting saved. Well, that's not necessarily a bad idea, but, but let me just tell you, according to Romans chapter 3, so you can keep your finger in Acts and go to Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. So the question on the floor is, if no one understands that's a non-believer, if no one seeks after God who is not born again, then how come they're asking you if you're a Christian? We've had people ask us that. How come they're asking you if you go to church? How come they're asking you about that fish on the back bumper of your car and asking, are you an angler? <laughs> Why are they asking that question? If no one understands and no one seeks after God, how can they be coming up with this God-focused, Christocentric inquisition? How's that happen? Because according to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me first draw him. You don't seek God, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. God seeks you. God sends the hound of heaven after you to save you, redeem you, and allow you to be reconciled to himself. And so, for the person that's asking you or asking me, or maybe not talking to me, period, but you got a little ear hustle going so you can hear the conversation, Right? So if they're having a conversation about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or any subject matter related to God, what you know about them that they don't know about you is that the hound of heaven is after them. This is what I know because the Word of God says so. They don't understand the truth. They can't seek after the truth. For them to inquire about the truth has to be God's leading. And he has me prepared based on the commandment he gave me to communicate what they're looking for. And so I need to be prepared to do what I need to do to help this person that's seeking come to an understanding of this eternal message that will change their life forever. It's the greatest message ever told. And I'm responsible to communicate it clearly and succinctly in a way that someone can understand. So the challenge is not necessarily am I commanded to give it. The challenge is I don't know exactly what to say, which is my point three, conversation. That there needs to be a conversation. <laughs> Something's going to have to happen that enables the person to know that you have the information that they're looking for. Now, you know you have the information. The problem is you, you really haven't polished a way, notice I didn't say the way, because there is no such thing, a way to make the truth known. So you are with somebody and you kind of think they might be receptive and you're trying to find the gospel. 
Okay, let me share with you. Hold on one second. Let me see. All righty then. Okay, let me see. I got it. Let me just work with you. Hold, work with me for a second. Sip your coffee. I'm going to be with you in just a minute. I've only been saved 10 years. Hold it down. I'm at a Bible church. God been here 42 years, faithful, putting it down. But just give me a minute if I can try to find Jesus in these books somewhere to help you avoid hell. But I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. <laughs> You're going to bust it wide open if I can't find it. But it was a black bald dude came one time, <laughs> brought his wife, said something. It was in there somewhere, some black people and something. Let me see. I took notes. It's in here. It's highlighted somewhere. Give me a minute. Are you hottest? I'm sweating. Can you? Woo! <laughs> People don't have all day for you to find the gospel, for you to string some passages together that you don't remember exactly how they go. Ooh, I hope that worked. Did God, did that work? They want to know if this thing is as important as you say. How come you don't know it? You say eternity weighs in the balance of what, what you're about to say, and you're trying to find it? The conversation has to take place, and we need to know what we're talking about. The reason we don't like to talk to the Jehovah's false witnesses it's because even though it's false, they know it. And we don't like to be embarrassed, and we don't want to be ashamed, and we don't want to be in the disposition of not being able to find the truth. So we throw the baby out with the bathwater and don't talk. Not talk up until I get stumped. We just don't talk, period. As if it's my reputation at stake. I surrender to the Lord, I'm a slave. It's my master's reputation. They don't know me from Adam. They're mad at him. I'm the messenger. <laughs> so God is requiring me to know what I'm talking about. I, I need to have a conversation. So let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Start at verse 30 and, and see what that conversation should consist of. What's, what's the crux or the foundation of the message that I'm commanded to give. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who would declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? So when I catch this, watch this. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. So you don't have to spend any time working on your apologetic discussion. Apologetics, defending the faith. You don't have to learn one thing about the latter-day ain'ts. <laughs> don't waste your time. 
reading the book of Mormon. Don't waste your time. Black folks couldn't go to heaven until 1984, according to that book anyway. <laughs> if you lose enough national championships, you'll change your theology, add some people of color, and tie for a national title, and say God said so. Don't take my word for it. Read it. You'll see. You don't have to study that stuff. The only thing you have to learn about is Jesus. That's Philip's message. He preached Jesus to him. Could he have waxed eloquent and said, well, Isaiah is not talking about himself, and Isaiah is not talking about the nation of Israel, and according to textual critics, there's really two books of Isaiah, and he preached Jesus to him. What I need to know is how a person can come to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. That's all God is asking me to do. And, and it can be done like this, folks. The gospel is simple. It's so simple, the vast majority of people miss it. The gospel is simple. It's easy as the ABCs. The ABCs. If I need to tell you about Jesus, I can tell you that if you will, A, admit that you're a sinner, right? Romans 3.23. If you'll believe in the finished work of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ, his ability to appease the wrath of God, if you'll believe that, and if you'll see, confess, the word means to agree in two things, that Jesus is Lord, that he has risen from the dead. The Bible says, then you will be. The to be verb in the Greek means with guarantee, saved. Now that took me, 40 seconds, drop the mic, I'm out. <laughs> That's it. You can just shoot him the deuces, pop your collar, and keep it pushing. Because you can't convince him. You can't cajole him. You can't manipulate him. You can't make him because you can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save. He's not asking you to save. He's asking you to communicate. It's not rocket science. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to know that there's 66 books. Now you're at the Bible church. You should know that. But anyway, <laughs> take it the next step. 1,189 chapters. Take it the next step. 31,173 verses. Take it the next step. 774,746 words in this inerrant errorless document in the original autographs. You don't have to know all that. Just tell them, A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe in the finished work of Christ. C, confess that he's Lord. He's written from the dead, and you will be saved. It'll take you that long. Take you that long. It's a decision that we make. It's, you make a conscious effort to do it. It's a conversation that's supposed to be held. It's a command that's been given. And if we'll do it, conversion will take place. That's my last C. Conversion takes place when the gospel goes forth. Now, <laughs> when I was playing college football, I, I was blessed to play football in high school. I played wide receiver, and the running back got hurt, and so they, they stuck me in at running back, and we had all the guys on the line were 280 and 300 pounds. And, you know, I was a, <laughs> a buck 60 and scared straight. That's a good combination to break records. <laughs> so by the time I became a senior in high school, I was a consensus blue chip high school All-American. Colleges and 
information and opportunities to go everywhere. So I played college football for free on a full-ride scholarship. When I was playing Pop Warner football, they would tell you when you get around the pile to keep your head on the swivel. That means that you don't want to become the highlight film for another guy. After the whistle's already blown, he's diving over the pile, and he's going to use you as his highlight reel. <laughs> your head and your helmet rolling down the 10-yard line. So you're supposed to keep your head on the swivel, make sure that you don't get decapitated or lose your equipment after the play is already over. So God's calling us as Christians to keep our head on the swivel. We're supposed to be looking for, listening for, believing God for every opportunity to hear somebody communicate something about God the Father, something about God the Son, something about God the Holy Spirit, or any subject matter related to the kingdom of God. As soon as I hear it, I'm up to bat. It's me. What are we doing? I'm ready. Because God called me to be ready because he commanded me to do it. I don't get to throw the bat down and walk away because I got something else to do. I'm supposed to be prepared. Maybe you want to just go deep and you want to give them the long version of salvation. So let's give them the two-minute version. It's for the deep person. I know some of y'all, you know, you know, you wake up saying, I know why God saved me. If I was God, I would have saved me too. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> I'm so deep in my scriptures. <laughs> I so know the Bible. I spend three hours. I fast every week. I sing like an angel. If I was God, I'd have saved me too. <laughs> yeah, we need to help that person pray. <laughs> pray for that individual. So, so, if you wanted to give the long version, you could tell that person that the problem, the, the Romans wrote, the, the six P's of the Romans wrote that I wrote a part of my dissertation on. The problem that everybody has is that we all sin. So the question is, if you feel like you're perfect and you've never done anything, would you raise your hand? Anybody here sin less? Never done a thing? Do we have any takers? <laughs> you smart, because it's Sunday. You liable to see lightning come through the ceiling. <laughs> but if there were a hand to be raised when I go to high schools, there's always one. You know, the smart aleck, the class clown. <laughs> So you always pick him out and say, hey, young man, stand up, the perfect guy. Now that you've demonstrated that you have pride, you with the rest of us, come on, you got sin in your life too. So anyway, the point is that at the end of the day, all of us believe that we have a problem. You don't have to convince us. We know. So from that problem, we get stuck in this predicament. The predicament is you can't be good enough to eradicate or erase your sin. No matter how good you are, it will never undo the bad you've done. If somebody commits murder in Hercules and flees off to Canada, eventually they're going to have to come back if, if they are seen on America's Most Wanted on cable. The Canadian law requires them to extradite that person back. The person's going to go to court. They're not going to say, what was that person's civil record in Canada? They're not going to ask if the person began to, you know, lead a Boy Scout troop and if he put his kids in parochial schools and gave the vast majority of his money to the Red Cross, they're not going to ask that question because even if he or she did, that will not bring the person who lost their life back to life. Even if he or she spent 40 years trying to rectify their wrong, that won't help the grief, the grief of the family that lost that particular family member. 
Because the good that they did in Canada won't undo the murder they committed in California. So good doesn't eradicate or erase bad. Only Jesus washes away the sin in our lives. So that's every man's predicament. Your problem is, my problem is, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. The moral beauty and perfection of his character is his glory. His perfection is what we fall short of. The predicament is we can't be good enough to undo the bad we've already done. And the penalty of dying in that disposition is spending an eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. That's the bad news. Praise God, the news doesn't stop right there. <laughs> the good news is, the gospel is, that God made a provision. It's, it's called his only begotten son. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God provides a pardon. Romans 6, 23. And God has defined the process. Romans 10, 9, and 10. The problem, the predicament, and the penalty has been eternally changed by the miracle of the provision, the pardon, and the process. That's a long version. It took me about two and a half minutes. That's how long it takes to communicate the gospel. That's the commitment that God is asking me to make to make sure that non-believing friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, classmates hear the truth. He will do the rest. I just have to be obedient. So he gives them Jesus. And as a result of that, look what happens. Verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no, no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now let me just tell you, you guys are my brothers and my sisters and we're about to go. <coughs> I am so tired of and <laughs> challenged by how we handle this gospel commandment thing. Now, come on, y'all know I'm telling the truth. When you get that knock on Saturday morning... They got on the white top. They got the little black placard with their name on it. They parked the bicycle on your grass. As soon as you hear, y'all doing this. Y'all <laughs> 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 turn the TV down. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Y'all know y'all hiding on Saturday. Hiding behind couches. <laughs> Mutant phones, <laughs> put it on vibrate. <laughs> because the gospel is so simple in its entirety from A to Z, from start to finish, I just want to encourage you to consider equipping the family and having fun when the, you know, Jehovah's false witnesses come by. When they come by and they knock, do like we do at the Sims house. We take turns. You know, we fighting to see whose turn is it. Oh, you went last week. So my, my daughter, Janae, back when she was like eight years old, nine years old. 
Hello, it's the Sims residence. My name is Janae. I'm eight years old. My daddy said you can come in under two conditions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number one, when you come in, you get five minutes. Nobody will interrupt you. Number two, when you finish, I get five minutes. My name is Janae. I'm eight years old. And my daddy said, you can't interrupt me. So you want to come in? Of course they want to come in. They want to propagate the falsehood that they're teaching. So they say what they're going to say. We accept or burn all literature that's left. And then Janae gives them the ABCs. And Janae doesn't have to have the ABCs memorized. Why? Because it's not the eloquence of speech that saves people. It's not the age or maturity of the individual that saves people. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16 that saves people. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is. Not I am, not we are. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Only God can save. So she can get her little three-by-five card that she and her mama made with flowers on the front and Hello Kitty on the back. And get a little card out and say, okay, it's my turn. <laughs> Your five minutes are up. <laughs> it's my turn. <laughs> Got my card out. So she can say, number one, A, admit that you're a sinner. Eye contact. There we go. Romans 3, 23. Daddy, can you turn to that? I got you, boo. I got you. <laughs> Let me quote the scripture for you. Do your thing. Number two. <laughs> believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't have to know how to be a public speaker to obey your master. All you have to do is resign in your heart that God's given me a command and with obedience comes the hand of favor of God. With obedience comes the blessing of God. Had someone not chosen to obey the truth of Scripture, I wouldn't be sitting here redeemed of the Lord today. So you have to ask yourself, in the way in which you currently witness over the last 30 days, would you yourself have been saved? If it was up to you to lead you to Christ in the last 30 days, would you be lost and going to hell, or would you be, be redeemed at the Bible church being discipled? The truth of the matter is, is that God loves me, and any shame I feel and any guilt I feel is not from him. I'm blessed to have the grace of God afford me yet another opportunity to walk obedient to the truth. And for that, I want to demonstrate my gratefulness by practicing what he just told me. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just apologize. Anybody can do that. Repent, it means change. Make the conscious choice to tell the Holy Spirit he's not going to have no more problems out of you. That's what I told God when I met my wife. God, if you give me her, you ain't going to have no more problems out your boy. 
<laughs> I know I've been a little raggedy on the purity thing in the college football days. But if you give me her, I'm going to clean my act up, I promise. And so for two and a half years, I honored God with my purity with this virgin woman. And God allowed us to, in this order, get married, then have a child. I just want to help with the order. <laughs> get married. <laughs> Three years later, after getting one of these, <laughs> then have a child. Listen, God loves you. He's crazy about you. There aren't enough tongues, there's not enough vocabulary in the English language to properly define and depict the love of God for me and the love of God for you. And so his desire is that we would practice that which he made known to us. And he'll save lost souls. Because that's what he does. He redeems lives that are meandering around with no focus and no purpose. And he'll give them an eternal destiny because you and I were obedient to keep our head on the swivel, obey God, and give the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth. And we pray for everybody under the sound of my voice with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Only you and God know where you were and or if you ever have invited Jesus the Christ into your life. You know what? You all look born again to me. But looking the part and knowing the Savior are not one and the same thing. I want to make sure that we're all under the same understanding this morning. You say, well, I go to church all the time. That's fantastic. You say, well, I always read the Bible and I pray. Don't stop doing it. You say, when I try to help those who are less fortunate than myself, God has a great love for the needy and the downtrodden. But all those things, individually and collectively, do not make you a Christian. Reading the Bible doesn't make you Christian. Praying to God doesn't make you Christian. Going to church doesn't make you Christian. Helping those less fortunate than yourself doesn't make you Christian. Obeying your parents doesn't make you Christian. It might, those might be actions of a Christian, but those things don't make one Christian. The question on the floor is, when was it? Where were you? When did you decide that today's the day that I invite Jesus the Christ into my life? I was 17 years old on the south side of Chicago on Father's Day. That's the time I gave my life to Christ. Listen, this is not about remembering a date. This is not about remembering how old you were. This is about remembering an event in your life. Were you at your grandmother's? Did you come forward in the church? Were you at a youth camp? Were you at the kitchen table with your mom? When did you say yes to Jesus to receive the gift of eternal life? Where were you? When was it? If you can't remember when, if you don't know the answer, it's most likely that you don't know the master. And you do have religion and you've been practicing it and God is proud of you. But he brought you here today to move you from religion to a relationship. You got to say yes. You, you got to decide that I don't want to play church and spend eternity in hell. I don't want to come and sing the songs. Volunteer with the children. Bring candy for the harvest fest. And not know the one that's being celebrated and communicated when the kids come. Today's my day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. That's right. That's right. 
It doesn't matter that your parents think you're already saved. It doesn't matter if the person next to you is singing in the choir. It doesn't matter what your husband at home who doesn't come to church thinks. It only matters what God thinks because he's the only one on the throne. And you and God are the only two that know the condition of your heart. And the question is, is your heart right with God today? Not are your actions right? Not are your clothes right? Not is your vocabulary right? Is your heart right with God? Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. He can't be deceived. He knows your heart. And if it's not right with him, you need to make the conscious choice to make it right today. So I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, all the saints that know him are going to clap and celebrate. And those that don't, you say, I'm not so sure if I ever have received him. You're going to raise your hand where you're seated. Here we go on one. Matter of fact, saints, hold your applause. Hold your applause for now. On one, I'm not so sure I've received Christ, but I need to. On two, I'm a little nervous. I got something going on in my stomach, in my chest. My, you know what? I've tried to do this before. I don't know that if I've messed it up, but, but I'm feeling like I need to do something this morning. Only you and God know. He loves you beyond comprehension, beyond anything any preacher would ever say. God loves you. He wants a relationship. He won't force his way in. You got to let him in. You got to step out on faith. You got to raise your hand and be uncomfortable. And he'll make you comfortable. He'll let you crawl in his lap, lay your head on his bosom, and he'll take care of you for eternity. On three, raise your hand if you need to invite Christ into your life. Raise it real high so I can see it. You and God, I see your hand, sister. I see your hand. Amen. Who else besides the one brave sister? I see your hand too, sister. I see your hand too. I see your hand too. Amen. God bless you. Who else besides those four? I need to invite Christ into my life. I see your hand too. God bless you. Who else? I see your hand on the front row. God bless you, brother. I see your hand over there to my right. To my left. I see your hand. Who else? You can put your hand down if you already raised it. Who else? Amen. I see your hand, sister. I see you. I see you in the back too. God bless you. You raise your hand. I want you to come on forward right now. You raise your hand. Listen, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. Don't be challenged by it. You raise your hand. God loves you. Come on right here. You know who you are. God knows who you are. Come on, let's clap. Let's praise God. Come on, you raise your hand over there from the side. Come on up here. Come on up here. God loves you. You raise your hand. Come on. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God loves you. Come on, saints. You ought to get excited. God is moving. You raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on. From the back, from the back. From the back, you raise your hand. Come on. Come on, you know who you are. All glory to God. We thank the Lord for you. We thank the Lord for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Let me just tell you, it was a bad morning for the devil in Hercules. A bad morning for him. <laughs> we 
had a dozen or so people come forward in a nine o'clock service. God saw fit to have a dozen or so people come forward in the 11 o'clock service. The population of hell was just diminished. The population of heaven is growing by the grace of God. Hallelujah. By the grace of God. Now listen, we're all standing. It's a little less cumbersome to move while we stand. We're going to count to three one more time. Listen, I know the hour is late, but what kind of price can you put on eternity? How long is too long when kingdom work is taking place? I'm going to eat as much as the next man when it's time, so. <laughs> Let's give God his time. Let's let the Holy Spirit do that which only he can. We're going to count to three one more time. And maybe you didn't raise your hand, but in your heart you know you should have. Maybe you know that in your heart you should come forward. You know it. You and God know. The two of you have had that discussion already. You were thinking about maybe doing it tonight. But I just want to remind you that Solomon said that you're not to boast thyself about tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. You know you might not see tonight. And you won't be able to explain to God, I was going to do it later. Because you can't be kind of saved. Well, I was kind of saved because I came to the service and I heard what the dude said and I agreed with everything. And God, at the, at the 6 o'clock, I was going to... I was going to do it. So, so can I get him? I was, I was kind of saved. I was kind of saved. You can't be kind of saved. Just like you can't be kind of pregnant. You can't be kind of pregnant. You either have chosen Christ or you haven't chosen Christ. You know that 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 you know if you leave here. Hallelujah. I, I thank God for you. some drunken driver T-bones your car and you open your eyes you're going to open them in glory because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord for those of us who know God but if you don't know that if you're not assured of that if you don't have peace about that then when I count to three like this sister just did you need to come on down here let God do that which only he can so some people are going to pray with you. They're going to take your information down. We don't make converts around here. We make disciples. We're going to get your information, help you grow, help you conform to the glorious image of Jesus Christ. You're not joining the church. God can care less about that. You're joining the body of Christ. Amen, brother. I see you, brother. I see you right now. I see you. God's proud of you, man. God's proud of you. Here we go. On one, get ready to clap. On two. You know who you are. God knows who you are. On three. Come on, let's make some noise. Come on, who are you? Who are you? Who else? Who else? God loves you. Who else? Who else? God loves you. He wants to change your life. We praise God for all of you. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor. Pastors and some of our deacons, come and stand by these people. Stand with them. You can pray with them. Our pastors and our deacons, come and join. Stand. Get their names Get so we can give them material, maybe give them a Bible. We want to be able to follow up. And uh, thank God for an evangelist, huh? Thank God for an evangelist.
tonight you might bring a loved one with you. Don't tell them we've got an evangelist here. But uh, a lot of times people will come for a baptism to see their kid baptized. We're praying God is saved tonight. Let me tell you, folks, this is the beginning of the greatest day of your life. The rest of your life could be lived supernaturally and with peace. And when you lay your head on the pillow tonight, if you've truly received Christ, you will plunge into eternity whenever God wants you to. But hell's out of the question. You're now His. You're now His. I'm going to pray over these dear people. I'm putting a Bible here, and uh, if anyone wants to have a part in a love offering, we want to give, Andre, you can put it on the Bible. And I think, well, after I pray, I'll have some of you move this way and some that way, and uh, then the saints can get access to that Bible. They may, they may come up. They might want to hug your neck and welcome you to the family. Father, thank you that the gospel saves. Thank you. Thank you that hearts have been touched. I think of the first service, a woman told me, you baptized me, Pastor, but today I got saved. Some may have already gotten wet, but never got saved. Save. Don't let us go to hell of naming church membership and saying, I go to Valley. We can go as fast to hell as if we were at a bar if we don't know Jesus. Don't let us be religious. Let us be saved, 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 saved. Keep these dear people. What a beginning. What a beginning for them to even admit and willing to come forward and say, I take the gospel. I take Christ as my Savior. We thank you. We pray you'll watch over them. Bring us back tonight as we rejoice over these baptism, hearing the word of God again. Who knows who you're going to save tonight? We thank you for who you're saving this morning. We bless your wonderful name. And Father, as we sing, it is well with my soul. I pray these new believers could say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen, amen.